I really felt God lay it on my heart that before we can go back to the place where God has done something, there are some people in, in our church who need to go back to the place where the enemy did something and come face-to-face with some hurt, face-to-face with some wound, uh, and begin to allow God to heal that wound. Uh, And so today I want to talk to you in part three about moving past pain into purpose. Moving past pain into purpose. And and it's not often that I feel like God changes my message midweek, but usually uh, in those few occasions where it has happened, he's really shown up that Sunday. So I've got high expectations today for God to do some really cool stuff in some people's lives. And so we're, we're going to cheat a little bit. I told you when we started this series that we were going to look at, at Jacob and kind of his immediate family members. Well, we're, we're going to step back a couple generations. We're going to go back to Jacob's grandfather and his great-grandfather, actually. Uh, in the book of Genesis and see what I believe is going to be a very powerful illustration of the importance for us to move past pain into purpose. Genesis chapter 11 says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Now, Terah is actually a man's name in Hebrew. He was uh, Jacob's great grandfather. Terah became the father of Abram, better known today by most of us as Abraham. Abram also had his name changed later in life, just as Jacob did. Uh, And so at this point in time, he's known as Abram. That's fact. In fact, all Terah ever knew him as was Abram. Uh, Nahor, his second son, and Haran, the baby. And Haran became the father of Lot. So we see three generations here in Genesis 11, verse 27. We see Terah, the father of the patriarch. We see his three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then we see one of his grandchildren, this man named Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. That'll come up much more in depth in Genesis chapter 12, which we won't get to today, uh, but that's a very significant point in verse 30 there. Then it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Everybody say settled. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Let's pray. Father God, I ask today that you would speak loud and clear. Lord, that that your people who have been wounded, who have been scarred, who who have been beaten up by the enemy, Lord, through relationships, through, through something someone said, through someone betraying them, abandoning them, dying, whatever it might be, God, that that those wounds are in this room, Lord, that today you would be our healer. Lord, that today you would breathe into those wounded areas, God, that you would bring us back to that point of pain, that you could bring us through it into your purpose, God, that you would heal those things, that we would be free in Jesus' name. We thank you for what you're going to do. Amen. Amen. When we lived in Tulsa, um, my wife and I both worked at a church called Church on the Move in Tulsa. We both interned there, and then I ended up going on staff there for a, a few years. And while we were there, we, we had some friends, in fact, uh, somebody that Melody roomed with and actually the, uh, somebody that she lived with, uh, who I, I was close friends with, and that's really how I got to know Melody in the beginning, um, that 
had gone through a, a, a tough experience in ministry. They, they both felt really called to ministry. They felt like God had a deep purpose for them and God had used them in a great way. And the church that we were at had a bus ministry for kids on Saturday mornings. Uh, and they would bus in literally over a thousand kids every Saturday morning from around the city. And they lived for bus ministry. This was, it was their defining thing. They did other things during the week to pay the bills, but Saturday was their moment to shine. It was their divine appointment. And, uh, through a, a series of different things and reasons, the church decided to discontinue the bus ministry. And they were hurt, man. They were scarred. They, they felt like they had turned their backs on these kids and abandoned these kids that they had poured their lives into. And it was very, very difficult for them. And so uh, there was another opportunity in the youth ministry. We also had a, a bus ministry in the youth ministry. We called it Team 180. Uh, and I was the Team 180 intern and, and I ended up serving in Team 180 and being over one of our specific teams. And so that's how I actually got to know them because after the bus ministry on Saturdays was canceled, they felt, okay, this is the closest thing to it. Let's go be a part of this. And, and we did Team 180 together for a couple of years. Uh, and then a meeting was called, and our youth pastor, uh, who was over our youth ministry, was actually let go. He was fired. And, and as he was let go, a lot of things in the youth ministry changed, including our Team 180 program was canceled. We weren't running buses anymore, and I was crushed. Uh, it was the reason why I was still in Tulsa was because the, the kids that I got a chance to, to minister to, and we called it Team West Side. We were on the west part of the city, and, man, we got to throw up the sign, and we got to be cool and say West Side, and I loved it. And, and I was heartbroken. And, and these two individuals, in fact, one of them whose name is actually Tara, ironically enough, um, they were crushed. And this happened in the fall of 2004, 11 and a half years ago. And to this day, Tara who was used by God in a mighty way, both in the bus ministry and in the, the Team 180, her life's a wreck. She's a flake. She's all over the place. She's connected with the church for maybe a short period of time and, and then fallen out. She served in a ministry for a couple of months and then fallen off the face of the earth. She can't maintain relationships. She's just not who she was created to be. The other lady as well uh, was heartbroken, and she ended up moving away. She took a job for a church in Baton Rouge, uh, and she was excited for this job, and it seemed like a perfect fit for her skill set and her purpose and her calling, and she quit that job within six months. Moved home, left ministry, ended up falling away from God, ended up doing all kinds of, of things that never would have thought she was capable of. She had a deep wound in her heart, she had some bitterness towards a pastor who made a decision. She had some hurt towards God who, who had allowed this to happen. Why did this happen? My mother, love her with all my heart. My mom was born in 1950, and so my mom is 65 years old. And from the time she was four till the time she was six, I've told this story before, but she was molested each summer. At four years old, five years old, and six years old, they had a summer home in the mountains in Montana that they would go to. And the next door neighbor at the summer home took a great interest in my mom. And back in the 50s, you didn't think that was weird when a man took an interest in your daughter. And so she hung out with him quite a bit. And this man did some unspeakable acts to my mom. And here we are. 60 years, 61 years from the first time it happened, 59 years from the last time it happened. And my mother is deeply, deeply affected. It's changed who she is. It's affected her marriage. It's affected her parenting. It's affected every relationship she has because there's a deep 
wound in her heart. And my heart breaks this morning for Christians who are saved, who know Jesus, who have been brought into the family of God, but there's been a wound in their past, and that wound has prevented them from walking in the fullness of God's purpose for their life and the fullness of peace and joy that he's created them for. And I think we see a powerful illustration of this right here in Genesis chapter 11. As we look at Jacob's great-grandfather, Terah, it says, This is the account of Terah's line, verse 27. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. See, the biblical order is significant here. It says he's the father of Abram. Nahor and Haran. In other words, Haran is the baby. Haran is the last. And, and, and it's miserable and heartbreaking anytime a parent has to bury a child. But I think it's even more miserable when you have to bury your baby. And Terah has this wound. He has this thing that happened. We don't know what caused Haran to die. We know he died far too prematurely. So, so really, you can read into it. He either died from a disease or from an accident or from war. He died from something that wasn't supposed to happen. Tara's like, I'm supposed to die first. That's the way it works. I live a full life and I move on and my kids carry on my legacy after me. And here my baby has been taken from me. Some people in this room perhaps said you've had a baby taken from you. Maybe your child, maybe a miscarriage, maybe not either of those things. Maybe it was something that you birthed as we birthed some bus ministry, as we birthed a new team that, that we created in Team Westside. Man, I, that was my baby. That was my thing. And it was taken away. And, and some of us, when we have that thing that we love so dearly taken from our life, it becomes very difficult to move past it. So we see Tara, verse 31. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, who's Haran? Haran's the dead son. When they came to Haran, they settled there. Haran the son and, and Haran the town are actually homonyms. The, the words in the Hebrew have different meanings, but they sound the same. Uh, and so my wife, she's from a town in Pennsylvania called Lancaster, Pennsylvania, L-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-R. Uh, and, and she loves her hometown. And if we were to go on a road trip and we came to Lancaster, California, different town, different coast, different culture, different region, different time zone, different everything. If we came to Lancaster, California, L-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-R, What's going to happen? Melody's going to go home in her mind. It's going to take her back to Lancaster. It's going to take her back to that which is familiar. And so I believe this is what happened. I believe Tara came to Haran. He's on his way to Canaan. What's Canaan? It's the promised land. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. He's got a purpose in his heart. Now, we don't know if this is a God-given purpose. We don't know if God had called Terah to that place before he ever called Abram there. We don't know if he just decided, man, it sounds like a good place to be, and, and that's what got Abraham thinking and praying about it himself. We don't know, but we know there was a purpose that, that, no, uh, that Terah had to go to Haran. But on the way to his purpose, something happens. They come across something that reminds him of his pain. 
And there at the point of his pain, he settles. Something in the town reminded him of his son. We don't even know if the, name was, the town was named Haran at that point in time. It's possible sometimes the Bible will refer to a place uh, by its later name. And so he may have been named Haran later. Nah- uh, Terah may himself have named the town Haran in honor of his son. But there was something in this place on the way to purpose that reminded him of his deepest wound, that reminded him of his greatest feeling of failure as a father. I didn't protect him. I didn't save him. I didn't keep him from, from going through this. I failed. And he comes to that place of his wound, and it keeps him from pursuing his purpose. I believe there are men and women in the family of God, men and women in City Church, that you are Tara today. God has a calling for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a place that he has laid in front of you, that he is telling you, I need you to come here. There's a promised land in your future, but there's a wound in your past. And the enemy is so good at bringing us to a place, bringing us to a person, bringing us to a moment that takes us back to our wound. And time after time, God's people settle in the place of our pain, and we never reach the point of our purpose. It's exactly what happens here. In fact, I brought a map. Can you put this up for us, Samantha? Hopefully this will will help illustrate this for us. I don't know how well you can see it, but if you can see the two red arrows, even if you can't see the text on the map, at the bottom of this this arrow all the way to the right is a little town called Ur, a little couple yellow letters, U-R, Ur. That is in south modern-day Iraq. This is where Abraham was born. This is where Terah was from. And so they live in south Iraq. And they decide, you know what, we're going to move to the land of Canaan. We're going to move across Mesopotamia from eastern Mesopotamia, the land between the rivers, all the way to the western side to Canaan. And so we don't know exactly why they took kind of a circuitous route. There, there may have been some reasons for it. Maybe they knew somebody along the way they wanted to see. Maybe it was safer. Maybe there were some enemies in between. The Bible doesn't tell us. But they take this circuitous route. So they go north and west, and they come to a place called Haran. And Haran is in modern-day Turkey. And you see that we're going to go through Haran and then begin to descend south and west to Canaan, to the promised land, to the place that, that was calling their family, the place that their destiny lay. But they settled in Haran, roughly halfway there, perhaps even slightly over halfway, on their way to the purpose, on their way to the promise, on their way to the place they were supposed to be. They settled at the point of their pain in verse 32, one of Scripture's tragic verses says, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. He died at the point of his pain. He never moved past it. He never moved beyond it. He never got free from it. He never got healed from it, and he never laid eyes on Canaan, the place where his descendants are going to be famous for settling, the place that, that, that his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to make known the world over, the place that God is going to bring his Savior through. Terah never saw it because he never moved past his pain. What a tragedy. What a heartbreak. What a sad situation. And yet it happens day after day in this generation where God is compelling us to a place. He is calling us to a purpose. He has laid out a promise, but we're not strong enough to move past our pain. 
Pastor Greg Oshel, one of the men who I admire most in the world, has this saying that I believe so strongly. He says, the greatest difference between where you are today and where God wants you to be is the amount of pain you are unwilling to endure. I'll say it again. The greatest difference between where you are today and where God wants you to be is the amount of pain you are unwilling to endure. You see, Tara had some pain he couldn't endure. I can't take it anymore. I can't do it. I'm just going to stay here. It's too hard. I, I can't move past this. I can't get beyond it. There was some pain that he couldn't endure. I'm not saying it's God-caused pain. I'm not saying it's God-designed uh, pain, but life hurts. In case you haven't figured that out. There's going to be some pain that comes for all of us. And, and many times the defining moment of life is how do we respond to pain? How do we push beyond that opportunity for offense, that opportunity for heartbreak, that opportunity to be paralyzed and to settle short of the promised life? Tara dies, lives 205 years, and he never reaches his purpose. I want to give you very quickly today just just three quick points, three quick thoughts on pain, three things that, that hopefully will speak to you and, and begin to help you move beyond the pain in your life. Number one is, is that pain will prevent you from your purpose. We've already kind of hit on this. We've already kind of covered it, but let's just articulate it specifically. Pain will prevent you from your purpose if you let it. It doesn't have to, but it can. When I was a sophomore in Bible college, uh, my little brother attempted suicide for the first time. And I had always been a good student. I had been voted most likely to succeed in eighth grade in my senior year of high school. And it always, school had always come really, really easy to me. And my brother attempts suicide about halfway through my, my second semester of my sophomore year. And I just collapse. I just shut down. Uh, the enemy just starts using me as his punching bag. If you hadn't have told your brother this, if you hadn't have done this to him, if you would have included him in this, this wouldn't have happened. And all these reasons why this was my fault, this began crushing me. And I, and I quit going to class, uh, and I went from very good grades on academic scholarship to I got a 1.6 GPA that semester. Um, failed the majority of my classes my sophomore year of college. That's an expensive mistake, by the way. Uh, that's a lot of money to throw down the drain, like $7,000 for that semester for a 1.6. Um, I don't know what the pain looks like in your life whether it's somebody close to you who has hurt you, whether it's a father who abandoned you, whether it's a church or a pastor who made a decision that broke your heart, whether it's someone who gossiped about you, whether it's someone who left you or abused you or molested you or raped you or divorced you. But I know this, the enemy will bring pain into your life in an attempt to prevent you from your purpose. He knows you're called of God. He knows you're anointed by God to destroy his kingdom, to advance the kingdom of God. He knows that the word of God says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's people, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And so many times he's going to bring us to that pain and hope that it causes us to collapse, that we can't move forward, that we can't get to the place God has called us to be because pain will prevent you from reaching your potential if we don't find healing. If we don't allow God to breathe into that thing and to bring us beyond it. The second thing I want to 
point to you in this story is that pain will pollute your relationships with others. Pain will pollute your relationships with others. You see, Tara wasn't the only one affected by this. This whole family goes on a road trip. We're going to Canaan. Pack your bags. We're heading out. We're going to get a fresh start. Man, there's a new adventure ahead of us. There's a promised land, a place with milk and honey, and we're going to go see it, and we're going to come into it. And Tara's wound flares up in Haran, and the whole family settles there. Generations are stuck there. In fact, we, we looked a couple weeks ago at Jacob when Jacob uh, stole the blessing from Esau, and he had to go on the run. Where did he go? He went on the run to Haran. He went to see Uncle Laban in Haran. That was the place where he went. So this town, this hurt, continues to flare up. Lies shouldn't, or, uh, excuse me, Laban should have not been in Haran. Laban should have been in Canaan if they'd all made it there. But they didn't. So there were generations affected by this from his family. There were family members left behind in Haran. In fact, when God calls Abraham to Canaan, he has to tell him, you got to leave your family here. Isn't that so weird? I'm going to make you into a great nation, but you got to leave your family. Why do you have to leave his family? Because the family was broken. The family was dysfunctional. The family was messed up, and God knew if you don't leave this thing behind, if you don't move past this hurt, if you take the hurt with you, it's going to follow you. Abraham didn't even listen completely. He took Lot. And if you read through the story, you're going to see a lot of pain that that brings because Abraham wasn't willing to separate from that piece. Who was Lot? Lot was the, his baby brother, his dead baby brother's son. I got to take him with me. He doesn't have anybody, God. But Abraham didn't understand the pain that he was bringing with him. And God was saying, leave him there. So generations are affected. You see, your relationships will be affected if you allow a wound to fester. Man, sometimes you're going to get mad at somebody. You don't even know why you're mad at them. They didn't even do anything, but you're lashing out at that person, and you don't even know why. It's because there's a hurt in your past that, that they have accidentally scraped by. They, they've accidentally touched on, and they don't even know it. They don't know that you had that abuse. They don't know that you went through that thing. They don't know that you were abandoned by that person. They don't know that that person called you stupid or ugly or fat or whatever it is, and, but they do it, and boom, this whole thing blows off, and you're like, what just happened? And you sit back and you look at yourself, you're like, I have, don't even get why I just freaked out over that. That was so dumb. It's the enemy bringing you back to the point of your pain, back to the point of that wound from your past. And so our wounds will affect our relationships with others. I told you already, my, my mom molested 60 years ago. still affects her relationship with, with my dad. It affects her relationship with her kids. And I'm not trying to put my mom down. I'm heartbroken for what happened to her. But it angers me that the enemy has kept her in a place of misery for six decades because of something he did when she was a kid. And he does it to Christians all the time. All the time. Number three, I want to show you this. Pain will destroy your relationship with God. This is Will. Tara never heard from again. I don't know that it was supposed to be this way, but, but indulge me for a second in a theory. Perhaps Tara really was called by God to go to Canaan. Perhaps that was a God-given desire in his heart. Tara goes to Canaan. It becomes God of Tara, Abraham, and Isaac. 
The Bible reads differently all throughout. I don't know that that was the case. I, I can't prove that to you. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe he just wanted to go to Canaan because it sounded like a cool place. But I think it's really interesting that the same place that God calls Abraham to is the place that daddy was supposed to go. That just seems like a little odd to be just a coincidence to me. Everything changes. Tara's relationship with God, we don't even know what his relationship with God looked like. We know Abraham knew God. We don't know if he was introduced by his father or if he just bumped into him on the road to Damascus or what that looked like. But, but somehow Tara disappears from Scripture because he can't move past Haran. He can't move past his pain. You see, the horizontal, our, our, our relationships with others, our relational wounds always affects the vertical. You know, you can't love God without loving people. You can't really love people without loving God. That's why they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, I can't just give you one. I got to give you two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind and hate your brother. You can't love people and not love God. You can't truly love without having both of those. And so the vertical and the horizontal are connected. And so Tara's relationship with God is affected because of this relational wound, because of this thing, this hurt that he had discovered. The vertical and the horizontal are inseparable. Showed you this verse a, a few weeks ago in our Sticks and Stones series. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it's so powerful. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And it's gonna go on to tell us that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Verse four. It says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, what's the last word? Strongholds. And the Greek, which is the new, what the New Testament is written in, the, the Greek word there for strongholds is ukurama. Ukurama. And, and ukurama literally means a, a castle or a fortress. But the implication in ukurama is much deep, de, uh, deeper. It means a prisoner who has been locked up by a lie or a deception. So it says that, that we demolish strongholds. We demolish the prison created by lies and deceptions. You see, the reason why the enemy can keep us in the point of his pain is the pain was real, but there's a lie that comes along with the pain that says you can't get past it. You're not strong enough to do this. You're not strong enough to handle this. There's a lie that says this is who you really are. You really won't ever accomplish anything for God. Yeah, you, you had this great ministry opportunity and it blew up in your face and you blew it and now you're never gonna get another chance. How could God ever trust you again? There's a lie that comes with the hurt and the enemy locks us up. He can't, he can't send us to hell. He can't steal our salvation. Nobody can separate us from the love of God. That part is taken care of if you've received Christ, but he can prevent you from getting to your purpose by speaking a lie into your wound. And many times there's a lot of truth behind the wound as well. The truth was, I had said some awful things to my baby brother. I had called him stupid, and I had excluded him from things. But the truth was not that he committed, tried to commit suicide because of the things that I had said to him. So he locked me up in a lie. He destroyed my sophomore year because of a lie that this was somehow my fault. And he used some truth to do it. And so maybe there's some truth behind it. Maybe you really did ruin your marriage. Maybe you really did blow it. Maybe you really did run that person off. Maybe you really did blow that job opportunity. Maybe you really did fall into sin or into addiction. Maybe it really is your fault to some degree. That's the beauty of grace. It don't matter if it is your fault. It's all of our fault. 
that we're messed up. It's all of our fault that we're jacked up. And Jesus died for us anyway. Jesus came to bring freedom anyway. And so we get locked up in the prison of this lie that this is all we will ever be or this is all we'll ever amount to, that we've blown it, that we've destroyed it. And it's not true. It's not true. And that's why it says in the next verse, verse 5, it says that we have to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We got to take captive this jailer who's locking us up by this lie. We got to take these thoughts captive and make them obey. There's people in this room this morning. You're the prisoner of a lie today. You're a prisoner of a lie related to a wound from your past. The wound is real. And there's probably a lot of truth in the lie that's real. But there's a lie embedded in there that the enemy is using to keep you in Haran and prevent you from Canaan. And I believe that God sent me here today to speak some truth because Jesus says that the truth will set you free. Set you free. Set you free. What if Terah had been set free? What if he had moved on to the land of Canaan and not settled at the point of his pain? What, what if when my mom was a teenager, someone had come along and been able to show her the truth of the freedom that God had for her? 40 years would have looked different. Her marriage would have looked different. Her parenting would have looked different. What, what if today there was freedom available for you? What if the God that we sang about a few minutes ago that I believe you're my healer and nothing is impossible for you? What if he brought you here today to unlock some chains? What if he brought you here to break some lies off of you, to free you from some akurama and allow you to move into your purpose? I believe there's people in this room today that that's exactly your situation. So what we've done is, is we're going to have some worship at the end of service. I'm going to ask the worship team to come down. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down. Uh, they're going to come down right now. And as they come down, if you're here today and you're in that place, and this is for you, you're, you're stuck in Haran. Here's what I believe very strongly. I believe that the Bible says that, that one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. That, that when two or more are gathered in his name, that he is there. So I believe there is power in the prayer of agreement. I believe there's power when God's people come together. And we're bringing the lights low so you don't have to feel weird or like people are looking at you. Nobody's going to be worried about what's going on with you. Well, I want to invite you. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up right now. And as you do, if, if there's a hurt that's kept you in Haran, maybe it's abuse, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's rejection, maybe it's a ministry thing that, that you messed up, maybe it's a church that, that hurts you, and you, man, you're still in church because you know your kids need to be there, but you're not ever going to get involved again. You're not ever going to take it serious again. You're not ever going to allow people into your life again because it hurts. The greatest difference between where I am and where God wants me to be is the amount of pain I'm unwilling to endure. And so I'm going to ask you today, I'm going to challenge you as your pastor today to endure some pain, to step out from your seat, to come down front, grab a prayer partner, tell them as much or as little about your situation as you like. We don't need to know all the gory details, but we want to pray with you. We want to believe God with you for some healing. And maybe, maybe that intimidates you so much. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to dare you to have the faith and the courage to slip out just right now. Don't wait till I'm done talking. Just to slip out right now. If you're stuck in some pain, come down and grab a prayer partner. We're going to believe God for healing today. As we do, the worship team is going to lead us in this song, Healer. And we're going to worship the God and declare that he's our healer. If you're in your seat and you don't have a wound, awesome. Praise God. Uh, but if that's you and you see somebody down here that, that matters to you, 
somebody that you care about, we're going to invite you to come down and pray with them. Or as, as we sing through this song, maybe you realize there is some stuff I need to pray for. We're going to leave the altar open for the next 10 minutes. Come down at any point to pray with somebody or to pray yourself. We're going to sing to a God who is the healer. Father God, we thank you right now for everybody down here. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you bring healing, Lord, from abuse. God, healing from molestation, healing from divorce. God, healing from lies that have been spoken over them. God, we pray right now that we would begin to take captive some thoughts and make them obedient to you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. It's in Jesus' name.